Father, thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for life in the body of Christ. As we worship together, as we pray together, as we serve together, as we serve one another, as we pray for one another, as we're involved in our community, this is what life in the church is meant to be. Life that we live in Christ together. And I'm so grateful for it, Lord. We pray, Father, that your wisdom and your grace would guide us this morning, that your spirit would teach us, and that we, Lord, would be able to draw closer to you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 37. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seized him and he suddenly cries out. It conv- Oh, wait, I skipped a... Sorry. Suddenly a man... What? No, and behold, the spirit seized him. Oh, wow. And suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, but they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So it was only about 20-some verses ago that Jesus predicted this. Now, in in the course of time, it was about a week and a half ago uh, from their perspective. But today, as we continue in the book of Luke, our passage unfolds right after the day after the transfiguration of Jesus, where his divine glory was revealed to Peter, James, and John. Yet, as they're coming down from the mountain, they are met with the struggles of the world below. It serves as a reminder for us is the tension between the heavenly and the earthly, the divine and the human. Pastor Chuck was always fond of saying, and I tell the kids every year when I'm at camp, very simply, it doesn't matter how high you jump, it matters how straight you walk when you land. Uh, everybody, when you go to you know when you go to camp, and I'm still encouraging people go to camp with us. It's awesome, we have such a good time. Um, but when you go to camp, it, it is truly a mountaintop experience. You're standing literally on top of a mountain. At one point in time, you climb to a higher point of the mountain, and spiritually, it's just this incredible week of drawing close to God, of serving, of, of seeing him working in lives and changing lives. And I tell the kids every single year, this is awesome. 
And I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that God is working in your heart. And if you go home on Monday and it doesn't change how you live when you get back, then this week was pointless. And that's hard to say. And it's hard to hear. But, you know, I think church is the same way. Church is kind of, um, I don't know about for you, uh, but it is for me, it's like the pinnacle of my week. Everything I do, uh, starting on, well, usually actually Sunday night before I go to bed, I read the passage that I plan to preach for the next week. And Monday morning, I start preparing the sermon, um, unless it's President's Day and my wife has the day off and I sleep in and don't work. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, and all week then I'm working on the message and I'm, and I pick out the songs and I practice the songs and, and, and I pray over the message and I pray over the service and all that and we get to Sunday and here it is. And if our lives aren't changed, not because of the greatness of my message, please don't rely on that, we're all going to be in trouble, but by the working of God's spirits in our hearts while we're here, right? if that doesn't translate to the way we live our lives on Monday morning, what's the point? As they come down the mountain, they had this huge mountaintop experience, right? If you're Peter, James, and John, you saw Jesus in his glory, at least a glimpse of it. You saw Moses and Elijah, whether in the flesh or not, but you saw them, people that you know, right? The the giver of the law, Moses, the the first among the prophets that, that summarized the whole of the Old Testament standing in front of you. And then you walk down the mountain and there's some guy, my kid's having a problem and your disciples failed, please help me. Does it change the way they walked? I hope so. In this encounter, though, we're going to witness the profound compassion of Jesus, his power over evil, and a call to faith, a faith that transcends our understanding and our abilities. So we begin with the compassion of Jesus. We're going to read verses 37 through 42. I'm organized a little differently this week, um, which is a little differently than last week, which is a little differently than normal. I'm trying something new. As I I mentioned, um, I've gotten gotten feedback from one person who said, well, I kind of liked it. Anybody else wants to chime in, feel free to let John know after service. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to read 42 through, or 37 through 42 again. Now, It happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met them. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. Some of your Bibles, I don't know if... uh, Anybody's holding an ESV at the moment, but I know in the ESV, it says, instead of bruise, it says it shatters him. And the word literally means it it rends him or it tears him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. So our first consideration is the compassion of Jesus. Faced with the father's plea, Jesus responds to the suffering of the boy and his father. 
And I think that's interesting because we have the father here pleading for the son. The son is not pleading for himself, though we see that in many other places. Because the father was so, so hurt. And for any of us who are parents, we get that, right? You get when your kids hurt, you hurt. It's hard. And it's just when you love other people. When they hurt, you hurt. We are called as a body of Christ, right? That when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. And I think one of the things, and while here's a rabbit trail, we'll get there. But one of the things that's so important about showing compassion within the body of Christ, when we show compassion to one another, is that it's okay to bring your suffering with you, to share it with us so we can suffer with you. Oh, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to burden other people. You're not a burden. We're a family. That's what we do. Oh, but, but you know, I don't want you to feel bad about what I'm going through. The Bible says I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to suffer with you. You're supposed to suffer with me. That's how the body of Christ works. And I think too many of us, right? And I'm lumping this all together because I do it too. Too many of us, we try to keep it to ourselves for whatever reason. And then we end up dealing with something alone that we were never meant to deal with alone. That we were meant to deal with as a family. So there's my first encouragement. But it's the same when we rejoice. Why shouldn't we rejoice together? Right? If something good happens to me, I want you to rejoice for me. Right? If something good happens for you, I want to be able to rejoice with you. We, sh- we should be doing all of it together. That's the beauty. That's the part of the joy of being part of the family the body of Christ. Right? If something good happens in your life, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to be jealous of it. I want to rejoice for you. You know, if somebody tells me, you know, I've got, a, I've got an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, good, go! Or I've got an opportunity to go hear a friend, do this, that, or the, go! Or this is what's going on in my life. Awesome! This is us. We should be doing this all together the early church wow we're going to get there the early church that's how they lived house to house daily breaking bread now i'm not saying we have to go to each other's house every day and eat however if you invite me i will come but we don't have to come to each other's house every day and eat but this this is not church And I know that blows people's minds. We do this, we gather, we gather together to worship on Sundays, and it's important that we do so. But this is not all of it. This is a small part of it. An hour or two on Sunday mornings compared to the other, how many hours are in a week? Is it 168, 170? It's 100 and something. Um, Anybody wants to do that math, feel free. But this this is one or two hours on Sunday morning, and we should give this to the Lord, absolutely. But what about the rest of the week? If you need prayer on Tuesday, don't wait till Sunday to let somebody know. Text me or text somebody else. If you have something amazing to rejoice in, you don't have to wait to Sunday. Let me know. I will rejoice with you. 
If you're struggling with something, don't wait till Sunday to tell somebody. Right? And it, it doesn't have to be me. It's welcome to be me. Feel free, but look around. You are surrounded by people who love you and care for you. We don't have to do any of this alone, and we shouldn't. Give me a second. I'll figure out where we were. <laughs> but that's compassion. And so Jesus looks at the suffering of both the boy and his father. And keep in mind, this boy was probably not three or four years old. He was probably uh, a young teenager, 12, 13, 14, 15, something like that. Uh, maybe even a little older. Um, you, you know, when we, we'll, we'll talk of a baby and then we'll talk of a toddler and, and then we'll talk of a, you know, like elementary age kid, right? We have, we have all these words. A Hebrew and Greek wasn't quite that way. They said child. And child could be anything from birth to 18 because they just, if they looked at them as children. Uh, Jewish, you were, you were a man at 13, but still, this could be, it's probably not a, a small, small child. But this act of healing is a testament to the Lord's boundless compassion. And his desire to restore us in our own lives. How often do we turn to Jesus in our despair? Trusting him to be our healer, our provider, and our source of comfort. What I really hope is that you always do that. Because that's the one, he's the place we should turn. And again, we can turn there together. But he's the place we should turn to. And I think that's another issue. We were talking about this a little bit morning, this morning in Sunday school, is we get this idea that like we have to put on some kind of show when we pray. Like, oh Lord, you're so wonderful and you're so mighty and my life is so wonderful and everything is great and thank you and woohoo! Anybody ever gone before God and say, you know what Lord, this sucks and I hate it? I do it all the time. Not all the time, but I do it whenever it's appropriate. If you ever want to see the depth of human suffering show up in prayer, just go read the Psalms. Go look at what, what David and, and some of the other psalmists wrote. Oh, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then what does he do? He preaches the gospel to himself. Trust in the Lord. Right? It's going to be okay. Oh, Lord, you know, I'm surrounded by jackals. Punch out the teeth in their head and, and, you know, and bring them down to the grave with violence. David prayed like that. I'm not saying you should pray like that, but sometimes you feel like it. And if you do, let it out before God. He doesn't care. It's not like you're hiding anything anyway. Oh, Lord, I love this person. If you don't love that person, don't lie to God about it. Instead, say, Lord, I hate this person, but I know I'm not supposed to. Can you help me? It's okay. It's okay. In Mark's account of this same situation, we get what is my favorite prayer in Scripture, speaking on honesty of prayer. In Mark 9, 21 to 24, so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And again, don't take childhood to mean two or three years old. And often he is thrown in both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. My favorite prayer. It is so honest and it is so true. 
Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling, or I have doubts, or I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't see how we're going to get to the end. I don't see where the healing is going to come from, or where the money is going to come from, or where whatever the solution. I don't know where it's going to come from, Lord. I want to believe you, but I'm struggling. I love that honesty. In verse 40, we have the word implore which I think is demonstrated a little better in Mark's recording of this event. But that word implore means to beg. And in Mark's gospel, we see the desperation. We see the desperation. And in that place, what was Jesus? Compassionate, loving, merciful, caring. Notice that he did not rebuke the Father for his request. He rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith, which we'll get to in a moment. Second, we have Jesus' authority. Our passage demonstrates Jesus' authority over evil. In rebuking the unclean spirit, Jesus exhibits his power over all creation, visible and invisible. The power is not just a historical account. It is a present reality for us. In moments of trial or temptation, let us remember that the same authority that Jesus wielded over demons is available to us through faith. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Speaking of Jesus, he is the first, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have or be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is nothing that Jesus does not have authority over. Now, we get to choose, we get to make our own choices, and we are responsible for the consequences of our own choices, but it doesn't change the power and sovereignty of God. And it doesn't change that whatever your situation is, whatever your struggle is, whatever your doubt is, whatever your fear is, that he has authority over that as well. And you all have heard me say this many times, and I'm going to keep saying it, not because I want to make sure you hear it, but because I have a trouble listening to myself sometimes, or just the truth of what this is. We walk around like paupers when we are children of the king. We walk around like we, we are weak and, and wretched and poor and miserable, blind and naked. And, well, we are. But we forget the power that's behind us, the power that's inside of us, the power that God wants to work through us. Now, this is not your power. This is not your authority. Please if you come in contact with a demonic, don't stand up and go, I'm going to show this demon. You won't. You will show that demon nothing. You will lose. It will be a bad day for you. But 
if you come in contact with something like that or whatever your situation is. Maybe it's not as desperate or, or dark or evil as some kind of demonic possession like we're looking at in our passage today. But you're dealing with something like that and your situation and you come, oh, well, Lord, I, I kind of hope you could deal with this or, oh, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side or, oh, goodness, this is, this is too hard for me. Good! Of course it's too hard for you. Instead, stand in the power of Christ that dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside each one of us. We're told that in Romans 8. Thank you, brother. It's the same Spirit. It's the same power. It's the same God. Always has been. Always will be. And we approach a situation with, well, yeah, I kind of... I kind of hope this will work out for me. Instead of going, you know what, God? I know you've got it. I know you're bigger than this. I know you're stronger than this. I know you're greater than this. And I know your plan is perfect, even if I don't know what it is. That's the power that's ours in Christ. Not my power, not your power. Not my authority or your authority, but his his that he has promised to work in and through us a work that he has promised to complete being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it unto the day of christ jesus and some days we may wake up and go i don't i don't know how i'm going to get through this day okay if you get there call me i'll pray with you i'll walk with you i'll even sit with you or call someone else, right? Going back, don't do it alone. But when you get to that day, know that God has started a work and he's going to finish it. Know that God has promised to get you to the other side of whatever it is. I'm not saying the journey is going to be easy or fun or pleasant or, or enjoyable in any way. It might suck. You might hate it. You might have days where you go, I don't know why and I don't want to do it anymore be honest with you i get there sometimes i praise god that it's a lot rarer than it used to be but i get to days where i'm like nope i don't want to you can't make me and i'm going to stomp my feet and i'm going to go hide in my closet i'll teach you am i the only one but god has promised that he's not going to stop working in and through us even if we don't see it he has promised he tells us one of my favorite verses Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's who he is. And maybe you don't feel like it, and that's okay because feelings are deceptive. And maybe you don't see it, and that's okay because there's a lot going around us in the spiritual realm that we don't always see. And maybe you don't like it, but that's okay because he loves you. But the point is, he'll get us there. He'll get us there. Number three. Lastly, kind of lastly i have a couple more points but lastly in this particular section the scripture challenges us to examine our faith the inability of the disciples to cast out the demon points to a faith that is lacking now remember jesus did not rebuke the father which i think is astounding he is not going to rebuke you when you come to him and ask for something he may say no 
He may say, wait, but he's never going to be angry with you for asking. Ever. We're going to come back to that. But this phrase, you faithless and perverse generation, the word faithless means unbelieving and untrustworthy. And the word perverse means to distort, misinterpret, or turn away. So, right, they didn't really believe when they tried to cast out the demon that the power of God could work in that situation. And then they misinterpreted what was going on in some way, shape, or form. Whether it was a misinterpretation of the power of God or the misinterpretation of their place in Christ, they misinterpreted it. And it's not just for them. It's really easy to go, that was 2,000 years ago, man, the disciples really blew it and Jesus let them have it. Yeah, well, he'll let us have it too if we listen. I'm not trying to put you down, but it echoes down to us, doesn't it? How many times have I prayed for something and not really believed that God would answer it? Don't answer that. I don't even know the number. It's way more than I'd care to admit. And I'm not going to ask you for that number either, but we all do it. We pray. You know, oh Lord, you know, would you heal that person? (laughs) You don't really believe. I'll tell you two quick stories. I've told them both before, but it's been a while. And it's always good because I don't don't have that many new stories. One, years ago, I was serving as an assistant pastor at a church in North Dakota. And this guy was going in for triple bypass the next day. And we're like, let's pray for him. So we, he, he did what you're supposed to do, what James 5 tells us to do. If any of you is sick or suffering, call the elders. They will anoint you with oil and pray over you. Right? And so he, he called the elders, and we anointed him with oil, and we prayed over him. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, you know, we'll just, he's going to have surgery. I'll go see him in the hospital tomorrow. It'll be okay. Because that was my thought process. We got a call next day. He went in and they said, well, all right, we're going to check everything out, make sure we know where we're going and what we're doing. All of his arteries were clear. He didn't need the bypass. And God rebuked me because I didn't really believe. My other story, and I love it because she's sitting right there. I've had back problems for many, many years, um, having mostly to do with how big I was and kind of still am. But I was, I just don't, I don't remember how old you were. Your mom might remember how old you were, but maybe two or three and I had tweaked my back doing something, and I was really big at the time. And she said, Daddy, I pray for you. I'm like, oh, isn't that cute, stupid kid? My back hurts. You know, I need, I need ibuprofen. She came over, and she put her little hand. She's so sweet. She's all embarrassed now. She'll make you stand up. You want to reenact it? She said, Daddy, I pray for you. And she put her hand on me. She said, Jesus, make my, was that something like, Jesus, make my daddy's back better. Something like that, right? Profound, theological deep. And my back was healed. Oh, did the Lord ever rebuke me for that one? Ever since then, something hurts, I ask her to pray for it. Examine your faith. Faithless and perverse generation. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 gives us such encouragement. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you honestly come before God and you go, all right, God, where, where am I lacking? Where am I lacking in my faith? What, what am I doubting? What am I struggling with? Right? Because maybe you don't see it. And we do. We have blind spots that we don't always see. Ask somebody you trust. 
to maybe help you out with your blind spot. If you don't trust them, don't ask them. If you don't know who they are, don't, don't just walk up to a stranger. You know, I'm thinking I'm lacking somewhere. Could you let me know what that is? Don't do that. That's a bad idea. But if you know somebody that you love and you trust, you go, I'm really struggling with something, but I can't see it. Can you help me? All right, that's okay. But pray this prayer, Psalm 139. Ask God, search me, know me. Look at my heart, Lord. What am I missing? What am I doing wrong? Where am, where am I, I falling down? He'll show you. So we pick up in verse 40. No, we don't. We pick up in verse 43. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all these things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him. So in the wake of this miraculous healing, the crowd is astounded. They're marveling at the greatness of God manifest in Jesus. And in this moment of wonder and amazement that Jesus chooses to reveal the path that lies ahead of him, a path of betrayal, suffering, and sacrifice. We should consider the awe and greatness of God. The people around Jesus are amazed by his deeds, recognizing the divine power at work. And this sense of awe is a reminder for us to acknowledge God's presence and power in our lives. And I want to challenge you to do that in the normal, what we would say are the normal everyday moments where God is at work, but we don't always recognize it. Right? There's, a, there's a culture within the church. It's not everybody, but there's certain people within the culture of the big C church. They're like, I just want to see a miracle. And you know what? So do I. Did you wake up this morning? Did you get out of bed? Is your heart still beating? Did you, did you think, have to think about that? Right? No, that's a miracle, folks. That's a miracle. Did anybody see the sunrise this morning? I didn't. I was about to put my hand up. Nope, I didn't. But I saw the sunrise on Valentine's Day. Drove my wife to work, and we had breakfast together on the way up. And uh, yeah, I'm that cute. I made her a customized book. It made her cry. It's like, I win! I don't know. It's not a competition, but I still won. Right, but on the, on the way up, we saw the sun peeking up, and then it was actually on the way back down that it had actually come up over the hills and all that. And I saw this beautiful sunrise. I'm like... Right? And then, then you have to stop and think about the fact that the sun really didn't go anywhere. What's happening? No, we're spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And that's why I can see the sun now when I couldn't see it a couple hours ago. Because the earth has spun 3,000 miles in that direction. And there it is. That's a miracle. Look for them every day. Amidst this awe, Jesus directs his disciples' attention to a difficult truth. Right? This is the second announcement that we see here just in this chapter, revealing the depth of Jesus' mission, one that included suffering and sacrifice. And it challenges us to look beyond the miracles to see the heart of the gospel. Because while miracles in all of their forms are wonder, the greatest miracle of all that ever has been or ever will be is the redemption of a human soul through the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the greatest miracle. And the disciples' response, what was their response? It was confusion and fear. And this is profoundly human, right? We will often encounter aspects of our faith faith or, or something in Scripture that we struggle with or we don't understand. And that's okay. 
Maybe something you read in the Bible unsettles you. Or maybe God is laying out something before you that frightens you or you just don't understand. We are, it's okay to reflect on that. It's okay to ask questions. So we're going we're gonna to end with application. I might take this a little quickly. Oh, I'm not doing too bad. Can I, who will give me five more minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Perfect. All right. I got another half hour to go. I'm not going to go too fast because it's important. So let's look at how this applies to us. First, we all need to embrace compassion. Just as Jesus showed compassion toward the boy possessed by an evil spirit, we're called to embody that compassion in all of our interactions. And whether we're offering support to those struggling, struggling, maybe with a physical, emotional, or spiritual difficulty. Our willingness to act compassionately can be a witness to the world around us of God's love. And, and don't think that acting compassionately means you have to bring the meal, and you have to know the right thing to say, and you have to fix the problem. No, 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 no. Compassion is just showing and maybe you do bring a meal. Or maybe as you're talking to somebody, the Lord gives you the right thing to say. But it's just showing up. Just being there for each other. That's compassion. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, we're told, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And it goes on. There's a bunch of other good stuff in that passage. But what are we told to put on? We're told to put on compassion and kindness, humility, and meekness, and patience. Second, I think here we should be encouraged to strengthen our faith. The disciples' inability to heal the boy highlights the need for a faith that relies wholly on God's power. Our faith is often tested in moments of challenge, reminding us to seek strength not in ourselves, but in him. And I, I kind of went after that a little while ago, uh, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it here, but that's the reality. In, in Luke 17, that we'll get to in you know, like 2037, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They asked for it. You want, you want more faith? Ask. And what did he say? If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the seed, and it would obey you. And so, if you want to have an increased faith, first, ask. Second, open the Bible. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I've been asked on several occasions, well, well how does reading the Bible increase our faith? And there, there's a lot of ways, but one of my favorite things to do when I need a faith boost, as it were, is I go to the Old Testament. And I go back and I look at God parting the Red Sea for the Israelites to pass through. You know what? God can make a body of water stand on end and make the ground dry and let, let somewhere between three and six million people walk through it. All while, all while keeping the Egyptian army at bay with a pillar of fire behind them. Pretty sure he can help me out with my cell phone bill. Right? And I'm not saying I have a problem with my cell phone bill other than how much it costs, but just you get the picture, right? Or go, go look at Elijah in the prophets of Baal. Yeah, he had a struggle after that. I like reading about that too. 
But he said, God, can you show them who you are and set this whole thing on fire? And boom, he sets the whole thing on fire. David walking out to meet Goliath. And there's so, so many of them. That just builds our faith. It's beautiful. Number three, embrace wonder and seek understanding. I like this one. I borrowed this one. Uh, The crowd was amazed at God's greatness shown through Jesus' miracle. Yet the disciples struggled to understand his teachings about his suffering and betrayal. This teaches us to balance our awe of God with a desire to understand his will and his ways. It's this great verse in Job 37. Uh, Picking up in verse 14, hear this, O Job. This is God speaking to Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? I mean, do we... Do we get just how great he is? Just how big, how marvelous, how glorious, how powerful, how smart. Have you ever, every now and then, um, I come across a video with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I know we don't like Neil deGrasse Tyson, not for any personality quality, but because he led the campaign to get rid of Pluto as a planet, and we just, we have a hard time forgiving him for that. But Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's a famous astrophysicist. He's written books and all kinds of stuff. And every now and then I'll listen to him talk about something that just blows my mind. Like he, he proved, he has this, he took Einstein's theory of relativity and proved that we can actually travel forward in time. Um, and, and then talked about what would be necessary in order to travel backwards in time. And even though we can't do it according to the laws of physics, it is technically possible. And I'm sitting there going, man, that guy's smart. He's a functional idiot compared to God. Right? He's nothing compared to God. And and the amazingness of who he is. And then we're told not only to marvel, but then to seek understanding. Seeking understanding doesn't mean we'll get it. It just means we need to seek it. Ephesians 5. Picking up in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We are to seek understanding. Are we always going to get it? Are we always going to get all our questions answered? Are we always going to be able to, to throw the wise up to the heavens and have those answers rain back down on us in a way that is satisfactory? And, and of course, we know, no. We don't always get to know all the wise. But it's okay to ask. Number four, confront difficult teachings with trust. The disciples' fear and confusion in response to Jesus' prediction of his betrayal and death remind us that we may not always understand God's plan, yet we are called to trust in his sovereign will and his goodness. Pastor Chuck used to say it wonderfully, when you don't know, fall back on what you do know. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So when I don't understand, when I don't know, when I don't get it, when I'm struggling, all right, what do I know? Well, I know that God is good. Do I believe that? Do I trust him? I know that he's working all things out for good according to his purposes. Okay, so I I, I don't see the purpose. I don't understand the end. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I know he's good and I know he's working. This is really hard. This really hurts. Well, but I know he loves me. When you don't know, fall back on what you do know. Number five, ask questions. The disciples were afraid to ask Jesus about his teachings. And I think they were maybe missing an opportunity for deeper understanding or reassurance. We should feel encouraged to bring our questions and doubts to God, seeking clarity and wisdom. In Matthew 7, and this is talking about prayer, very specifically ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Why don't we get what we want? Or why don't we get answers? Because we don't ask. James lays that out very clearly in James chapter 4. He says you don't ask. And then why don't you get what you ask for? He goes, well, because you're asking selfishly. So that's that's another message. But ask. Lord, I don't understand this passage. Will you show me what it means? God, I don't understand this situation. Will you help me? And again, We go back to number four, that if we don't get the answer we want, we trust him. But it's okay to ask. It's okay to question. Let's close. In reflecting on this passage, let us be moved to a deeper faith. A faith that believes in the power of Jesus to heal, to save and to transform our lives. Let us cling to the hope that in our moments of weakness, his strength is made perfect. And let us go, carrying the message of hope and healing to a world in desperate need of the Savior. I pray that this passage would inspire us to live with compassion, to be deliberate in strengthening our faith, to embrace God's teachings and wonder and trust, and to seek understanding through earnest inquiry. May we walk ever closer with the Lord, trusting in his power, embracing his wisdom, and living out his love in our lives. So um, if you look at your bulletin or your notes or on the board, there's six of these. (laughs) Sorry. I had fun with my notes this week. It's a good message, I hope. The demonstration of Jesus' authority and power and his prediction of his own death and resurrection lead us to know that he is who he says he is. The most important thing Jesus has told us is that he came to save us. And so I ask, and I ask it every week, and I will ask it every week, have you believed in Jesus for salvation? His death and resurrection is our only hope. And if you haven't, and you're here, come talk to me. If you're online, send us a message. Jump on our, on our uh, website and shoot us an email so that we can help you know Christ. Question number the second. How can we show compassion in our community? Oh, just look around you. 
and, and maybe it's somebody you know who's facing difficulties that you can offer support. Maybe it's something you can, someone you can pray for. Maybe it's just someone who needs to listen. Maybe it's someone who needs snow shoveled or, or you know, they, they need something. I don't know. But there's so many ways to show compassion. Look for it. Ask God to show you. He will. How can we intentionally increase our faith? That word intentionality has meant a lot to me lately. Um, I'll explain why at another time. But it's, it's just... It's such an interesting word. Don't just let things happen. Be intentional. Don't just, well, I just really hope I, I grow in my faith. Okay, what are you doing about it? Maybe we reflect on areas of our lives where we feel powerless or overwhelmed and we commit those things to prayer. We can ask God to increase our faith and our dependence on him and we can seek him in his word. There's practical ways. And so my challenge for this week, based on some of the things we've talked to, this is four, five, and six. Spend time meditating on a passage of scripture that you find challenging and ask the Holy Spirit for insight and be open to how God might reveal his character and will to you through his word. Reflect on aspects of God's plan in your life that may be difficult to accept or understand and bring your feelings to God in prayer, asking for the grace to trust him even when you don't understand. And then you can write down any questions or doubts you might have about your faith or God's plan for your life and then commit to seeking answers through prayer, Bible study, and discussions with trusted fellow believers. I gave you a lot today. I get that. Take a bit of it. Take it all. Trust that God is going to work in your life through it. Not because of me, but because of him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this incredible passage and how you, you teach us of your compassion and of your grace. You teach us of being able to grow in faith, being able to grow in maturity and, and, and having a desire to understand who you are and to seek you and know you and draw closer to you. I pray, Father, that you would guide us and bless us today. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Help us to hear your voice working in and through our lives. Help us to trust you when we don't understand and help us to glorify you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, ah, amen.